episode 135 of Shades Midweek. If you're listening for the first time, it's a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm one of the hosts here. My name is John Mark DeRoe. We are recording this from Three Stream Studio here at Shades Valley Community Church. And I'm joined as usual by my two friends, Jonathan Haves and Brad Brown. We got Thanksgiving coming up. Yeah, man. We've got Advent decorating coming up. Yeah, man. We've got Advent coming up. Yeah, man. We are we are in the season. It is like about to hit busy season for everything. Right? I'm like I'm like a kid in a candy store, man. I so love excited. It. I love this time of year. It's cold outside. Halfway through this thing, I'm gonna have to take this ridiculous jacket off that I'm wearing right now. But I'm wearing my puffy jacket even in right. here because I just I love it. I got my coffee. I got it's 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 like Christmas flavored stuff. I've already mm. started putting on my music. I'm I got a candle. I got a Fraser fir candle in my uh in my office. It smells like a Christmas tree. It smells like Christmas now in my office. So I love it. I love it. Well, I'm okay with the jacket because one thing that really makes me upset this time of year is when people walk outside in forty degree weather with like a t shirt on and they just <laughs> act like everything's normal. Like it's right. okay that I have this t shirt on right now. No, you're making me upset. That feels like a it feels like a northern thing. I feel like northern people have to prove something to everybody else in the south. You know, like it's twenty degrees outside and they're like, Oh, it's hot. But I'm let, gonna go swimming. But let's be honest. We do the same thing just in the opposite direction. Like the humidity probably. Yeah. Or or just heat humid in general. You don't know humidity. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know what hot is. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, but But I was focusing on their faults, not our own Jonathan. <laughs> Yeah, as you I'm, should. A, I'm a Southern boy, as you should. Well, we've got a lot to cover today, so let's go ahead and get into it. I've got it. I've got an Williams album. album of the week. As we rise from our knees, where soil and sky meet. Peace. I know this song. All those who receive every branch of. Artist, is it? It's not. Okay. It's not. Because I, I know who the original artist is now. Favorites is back with a special project. That's right. You know that I all that I love Young Oceans. Well, he's got a new album out of songs that have been re-recorded by some friends of his, some of his favorite artists. The album is called Subjects in Motion. This song is called This Wild Earth. And this is Josh Garrels. Josh Garrels ah. singing this Young Oceans tune. Uh, there are a number of excellent, excellent artists on this record. Amanda Cook, Molly Parton, The Brilliance, Jess Ray, Liz Vice, John Mark Pantana, just to name a few. And they all redo songs of that Young Oceans has written and recorded. He's done this before. The previous record that he did this with was called Voices Volume 1. And he had a lot of 
artists re-recording his songs in kind of a full band fashion. Well, all of these songs are real stripped down, very stripped down versions, which is cool. Uh, so, like, uh, here, here would be another example of uh, one of the songs. This one is First Love, and this is John Mark Pantana. I don't know if you ever got, guys have ever heard of him before. Sounds like a heavy metal star <laughs> son. Pantera. Yeah, I was about to say, he's thinking of Pantera. I think I knew even when I was this is kind of the vibe of the whole album. I've had this who, album. Do you know who he is? Have you listened to any of his stuff? I've listened to him some. He's just a Christian artist. I, I haven't okay. listened to a ton of his music, though, so I don't, I'm not... I don't have uh, that much information. I've had this album sitting in my library for several weeks now. I just haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. It's good, man. It's nice reimaginations of some of his songs, especially like, you know, we do a few of these songs that are on here, and so it's always nice to hear like, oh, you can do this acoustically, and this is this would be a good way to do it. It's like good framework, and it's just nice to hear other people doing his songs because he's such a great songwriter. So, anyways, it's a beautiful, beautiful record. It's called Subjects in Motion. Just search Young Oceans. You'll see it came out November 9th of 2022 that's my album of the week guys nice love it always such a rough transition here really kind of wrecks the mood doesn't it does just going from just nice peaceful young oceans tunes to whatever one of these days i'm going to re-record it and surprise you guys this was actually produced by young oceans (laughs) you can really see his hand in it Thank you, as always, to the Chicago Boys Choir and the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra for your beautiful arrangement. It's the collaboration you didn't know that you needed. (laughs) But it's definitely there. Yeah. Recorded at Abbey Road Studio. We... The, the budget for this song is just incredible. It really is. We could talk about it all day, but we won't because we have... Guys, we have a book to get to, and this is a book. Do we have enough time? Can we call it can we call it a tome? I think this is a tome. This is a book. It is hot off the press. I'm holding it and my hands are burning, but I can't put it down. The foreword is by none other than Timothy Keller. Oh, the good Dr. Keller. The evangelical pope has approved so we can move forward. Now, who who is Tim Keller? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So, such a dumb joke. I'm sorry. I'm so dumb. <laughs> it's, it just it hit right, though. It hit me in my funny bone. I liked it. Well, guys, it's Thanksgiving's coming up, and everyone needs a light read, something easy to, to open up around the fire. Yeah, what else are you going to do? Exactly. Well, this is not it. <laughs> but this is one that we as a pastoral staff have already committed to reading. That's right. In the upcoming year and discussing the title sure to bring controversy is biblical critical theory. How the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. Wow. Has anyone else been trying to make sense of modern life and culture the past (laughs) few years? Quite the title and subtitle. Let's read a little bit about the back to see what's going on. The biblical, excuse me, not a good start, in biblical critical theory, Christopher Watkin shows how the Bible and its unfolding story helps us make sense of modern life and culture. 
critical theories exist to critique what we think we know about reality and the social, political, and cultural structures in which we live. In doing so, they make visible the values and beliefs of a culture in order to scrutinize and change them. Biblical critical theory exposes and evaluates the often hidden assumptions and concepts that shape late modern society, examining them through the lens of the biblical story running from Genesis to Revelation with extensive diagrams. This is true. This this bro has... How many figures are in he's, this book? He's drawn a lot. He's oh drawn a lot goodness. of stuff. There are over... Let's see. Lots of charts and graphs. Oh, my gosh. Some Venn diagrams. 114 figures. That's this right. book is over 600 pages. Yikes. This is going to be fun. So, where was I? Uh... With extensive diagrams and practical tools, biblical critical theory shows how the patterns of the Bible storyline can provide incisive, fresh, and nuanced ways of intervening in today's debates on everything from science to the arts and politics to dig- dignity, multiculturalism, and equality, showing Christians the move to make and the tools to use in analyzing and engaging in all sorts of cultural artifacts and events in way that's both biblically faithful and culturally relevant holy cow dude this is this is like one of the most ambitious <laughs> projects i have ever heard someone take this is i know this is the opposite of what a, a phd dissertation is where like you try to get down to the most narrow of focuses ever this is the exact opposite this is the kind of thing that i would go to go to my prof being like i want to write about this and he'd be like um i think you're overshooting yeah pick one of these things and then pick half of one of those things. right right yeah exactly and you know i was skeptical too until i started seeing all the endorsements on the back oh yeah man and basically if uh they're a human being then they've endorsed this book <laughs> If they're a human being in the Christian world, some names: Kevin Van Hooser, we're a name big, we're big we've Van talked Hooser about. Fans, yeah, yeah, Michael Horton, big name theologian. Sam Chan's written a lot on evangelism. Glenn Shrivner has a, a great ministry over in England. He's uh, the three two one gospel guy. Yep, three two one gospel guy. Mm-hmm. Alan Noble is another name I'm familiar with. I mean, just so many people. Bruce Riley Ashford is a guy I actually know personally. He's Did a we mention that Tim Keller wrote the Tim Keller's the, written the, the foreword. Forward. Y'all, I mean, come on. A good, I, a good personal friend of ours, uh, and a good, that's good, right, good buddy of the show. That's right. One Colin Hansen. Colin Hansen, who is the editor in chief of the Gospel Coalition. Yes, reads um, a book a day, probably. Probably he yeah. reads like ridiculously. He endorsed this book, not officially. He's not on the back, but on his personal social media account, said it was one of the best books he's ever read. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Yeah, he said that... I mean, that's pretty insane. So I saw it on Twitter, and I passed it along to you guys. He Because because of how extreme the comments were, uh, he said that... You know, he reads, like, whatever, 120, 150 books a year, right? And he said that... He said that (laughs) in the last... For this year, it was his favorite book this year. In the last 20 years... It's in the, it's in like the top twenty or something like that, and all time it's like in the top fifty books he's ever read, <laughs> ever. That and that pretty... that list has to be insane. He's probably read thousands of books. Well, and, and, and it gets really nuts when you're going okay, top fifty of all time. That means we're putting it up against like everything throughout church history. Yeah, because Collins read all the heavy hitters. Yeah. 
He's know? read a ton of totally. stuff. He's like, he really oh, has. oh, yeah, up there with Calvin's Institutes and writings of Martin Luther and Augustine's City of God. Yeah, yeah, it's going to make that same list. Right. Works that have lasted hundreds of years. So we're wow. really we're really excited. Wow, really excited. Really excited to dig into Yeah, it. really excited. If you would like to join us, you can get on Amazon for $35 Brad, or wherever Christian books are sold. Brad mentioned that it, w- that it would cause controversy just based off the title. And I would tell everybody out there, okay, because when, when you hear the words critical theory, everybody immediately jumps to uh, whether you're talking about critical race theory, whether you're talking about uh, queer theory, or whether you're talking about wh- whatever. Like people automatically jump to all of these different things and all of that. And so don't, whatever negative feelings you have about critical theory in general, don't just apply that here and use that to be like, oh, I'm not going to like this book. Uh, this book's garbage, trash, blah, 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 whatever. Like like uh, Watkin or whoever wrote the little flap yes. on the inside of the book was talking about critical theory as a approach is really just trying to examine society and critique it, be critical, and actually unearth things that we don't see. You know, or assumptions we make, or whatever. And so, yes. this is trying to do that through a biblical lens and a biblical worldview, and help us understand why we experience modern society the way that we do. So, in other words, I say all that just to say, like, don't throw the book out based on its title. Read it, engage it. Yes, don't judge a book by its cover. Yep, for sure. Wow, y'all. Okay, that was my recommendation. Biblical critical theory by Christopher Watkin. Check it out. How the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of everything. <laughs> Great recommendation. Ambitious Brad. project. <laughs> well, there's no good way to transition, so it's rain and tacos. No good way to transition between any of our segments. There's actually a chapter on tacos in this book. I bet there is. If there's not, then it would be lying that it's not incorporating everything. The Shades Midweek Taco Tour is rolling again. That's right. The boys got back together, and we went on a little trip over here to, what's this? Dos Hermanos. Valley Avenue. Valley Avenue, just right behind us. To Dos Hermanos Taco Truck that's parked at the gas station. has been parked there for quite some time. So you're going to hear a little bit of a field recording of us going to old Dos Hermanos and trying out their tacos, and then we're going to give you our ratings. This is the fourth stop on the Shades Midweek. Taco Tour. Brad. Taco Tuesday! It's Taco Tuesday! Am I discovering right now, Brad, that you have never been to Dos Hermanos? No, I've been here like a million times. Okay. I you have. Yeah, so I thought I going to add. This was the first taco truck I think I ever went Me to. Me too. Me too. My first taco truck. Because everyone raved about it. Everyone still raves about Everyone it. Everyone still raves about it. Um, yeah, this is Adam Nichols' favorite place. It, oh, I, I think so. As far as trucks me. go, like not brick and mortar, but as far as taco look at the truck, line, uh, look at the line. <laughs> in like, three, four, in five, like five, thirty all right, degrees. All right, I'm gonna be honest. Eight, I have not seen a line nine, like this at anywhere 10, that we've 11, been. 12, 13, nah, 14, man. 15, not 16, even Los Velador has had a line like this. There was maybe like four people, people there. In line. Oh wow, dude. What okay. They, what do they pay this gas station monthly oh to make this gosh. worth it for them? Who knows? Are Not you, enough, bro. We're going to go stand out in the cold in here. In the freezing cold. <laughs> I didn't bring a jacket, so we'll just make it work. Wow. Taco Tuesday. I got asada. Wow, that's Alpha spicy. Store, barbacoa. Which one? 
the boy. orange? I don't know, because I just oh, put them all boy. on there. Yeah. I got brisket, too. <clears throat> I can't tell which is the brisket and which is the steak. The orange sauce is kind of like a Chipotle type thing, I think. <clears throat> it's got a little smokiness. In my opinion, by far, the best tortillas. These are really good tortillas, good man. Tortillas. Like, by far from me. Like, I wonder if they're handmade. I think uh, Adam told me that they are. Um, the brisket was pretty good. I thought the brisket was great. Probably the best chorizo I've had in Birmingham. My mouth's on fire. I put. Did anybody put the extra hot sauce on theirs? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I definitely could have had a fifth taco. Yeah, they're small. Wow. That was good, guys. All right. Dos Hermanos, there it was. Best tortillas by far. <laughs> I stand by it. I just loved you counting the line in the background while Jay was still It was talking. a long line. It was. It was a long line. Yeah. And in the cold, it was so it rained, cold. It was and raining. It was, yeah, it was like People drizzly. don't care. Nope. Okay. And it's cash only. Like You got you to gotta be intentional if you want to go to Dos Hermanos. I know. I know. Yeah. So, all right. So, we doing this? Uh, Let's do it. Let's go for it. You want me to go first? I'll go first. Yeah. All right. So, just rating the tacos, and then we'll rate the the whole place. So, I had we all had four tacos. Um, I gave the uh, how do you say it? The suarero? Is that how you say it? Is that the brisket? That's the brisket one. I gave that an eight point five. Barbacoa, which is lamb, I gave a nine. Al Pastor marinated pork, I gave a nine. Asada, which is steak. I gave a nine. Pretty yeah, guys. High. Pretty high. Pretty high. Not the highest score I have given an individual taco. That still belongs to the Asado ta- Asada taco at Los Valadores. But by far the highest scores I have given overall. Wow. Okay. Okay. Right. We'll save the restaurant rating till the end. Brad, go for it. Gave the Al Pastor a 10, which that's my taco. So very high praise there. Brisket, 9. Not even leaving any room for something to possibly beat it. Al Pastor, 10. Brisket, 9. Steak, 10. Chorizo, 10. Tortillas, 10. Sauces, 10. Jeez. Just just tell us how you really feel, Brad. (laughs) Coming out swinging. Okay, here's how they rated for me. I'm going to go brisket 7 out of 10. I'm going to go asada 8.5 out of 10. Al Pastor 8.5 out of 10. Campechanos 9 out of 10. That was my favorite one. Tortillas 10 out of 10. Uh, Sauces 10 out of 10 as well. Man. And I'll agree, like, I have chosen to simplify my rating so I don't rate the sauces or the, the tortillas, but I will agree that those yeah. are the best tortillas I've had. Mm. All right, Jonathan, how did Dos Hermanos shape out overall? So for and how does that play into your overall rankings? Yeah, yeah. So for me, I gave Dos Hermanos overall a 9.5, which wow. is my highest rating for a place. So they don't, they don't have my highest rating for a taco, but they do have my highest rating for a place so far because they were so incredibly consistent across the mm, board. I love everything. Consistency. It was so good. 
So good. So, like, I think if I was like, man, I want to get the greatest asado taco that I can, I would probably go to Los Valadores. Sure. But if I'm like, I just want tacos right now, I'm going to Dos Hermanos, guys. At least, at least okay. at, at this juncture, that's where I am. Okay. That's where I am. Brad, what about you? So, my assessment and final statement is that these are the best tacos in Birmingham, Alabama. You're going to stand on that no matter how many more we try? <laughs> so far. <laughs> wow. These are the best tacos in Birmingham if I'm going to get tacos. You hear that, Andy Squires? I'm going he's, he's a dedicated to this place. And I would get, what was the first one called? Uh, Taqueria La Eridura. Yes. That's right up there. Honestly, I might need to go back. I want to get like a taco from each one and eat at the same time. Yeah. That would be amazing. It would be a lot, a, while. a lot of work, but I think definitely worth it. But yeah. right now, yeah, best tacos in Birmingham. Mm. The Brad Brown stamp. So what's the rating? <laughs> <laughs> right? You didn't give the rating yet, did you? 11 out of 10. Okay. Right. Spinal Tap. That's, that's not these even allowed. Amps, these amps go to 11. Why don't you just make 10 louder? I'll just make it one louder. But these go to 11. <laughs> these go to 11. 11, 11. Dos Hermanos for me, 9.3 out of 10. Okay, 9.3. Where does that sit in your Why, rankings? This is a, second. This is second a to Taqueria La Aradura is at 9.5. This is a counselor 9. question. 5. Why 9.3 Gordo's not 9? Gordo's is in last place, and Los Valadores is in third right now. But all, the, but those top three are, they're all really close. Yeah. I mean, let's just be real. Like that, I don't th- think you can go wrong. I yeah, I agree though. In terms of consistency, man, Dos Hermanos really, really impressed me with the fact that all tacos were really, really great. Yeah, yeah. I mean the they're, tortillas and the meat, now, which is like kind of a big part of it. I do. <laughs> I do have something. So, oh, I do have one other thought. So but, but none of go, us go got ahead. a pollo taco. None of right. us got a chicken taco because, right. in consistently in all the places That's we've been, true. the chicken taco has been our least favorite. Yeah. And so I really, I'm gonna have now to go I'm back. Curious. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and get a chicken taco because if the chicken taco is up there for me, then I'm definitely. I'm like, that's it. That's it. Right. Dos Hermanos right. for life. I'm it getting a tattoo. Be. That could be the yeah, one that, that would be it over. That'd be impressive. Uh, my one complaint is that because it's a taco truck, the sauce situation is a bummer. And I think that is why it got the 9.3 and why Taqueria almost gets the 9.5 because at Taqueria I can sit down and apply the sauce liberally to whatever taco that I would prefer in that moment. And when you're at the truck, you have to like fix it all now, before now, you leave. Now I do. So something we I didn't. I mean, they gave you a cup of sauce, but they had four sauces to choose from. So you have to like pre-make that. Well, maybe I don't want the. Maybe I just want a dab of the green on this bite, and then I'm going to put some red on this next bite. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. But something we didn't ask was they did have on the menu one dollar for extra, extra condiments. Yeah. And so I wonder if that means they'll give you a little container of mm. each sauce. Possibly. Because then yeah. you could, could do be. that. Maybe so. The sauces so. were really good. They were fantastic. And the um, the extra hot one was real intense. Like, I literally put a, the smallest dab down, and uh, 
It had my mouth burning. All right. Well, it's raining tacos here. Yep. Three Stream Studio. <laughs> and uh, we just finished up our recap of Dos Hermanos. What a good time. We'll yeah. let you know about the next stop. Maybe we'll get one in before Christmas. Yeah. There's Maybe some good so. Places. 100%. Maybe so. All right. Well, today is another installment of Shades Cinema. Uh, this is a series, a reoccurring series that we've done before. We've covered movies like, uh, what have we covered? A Hidden Life. What else? We Anything did the bat. We did yes. We did the Batman movie. The Batman. The Batman movie. We did the. Uh, we did the, the octopus documentary. The, yes, yes. We did the Michael Jordan documentary. Yes. That's right. Um, so we've done a number of shade cinemas. Well, today I'm going to play you the trailer for the movie that we're covering. A little documentary called The Jesus Music. Here's the trailer. I think music is the most powerful language in the world. I've never shared this with anybody. To see the richness of hope land upon someone's spirit via rhythm, rhyme, and melody. Sound. I don't understand it. But a lot of hymns are close your eyes singing to God. I wanted to sing with my eyes wide open singing to each other. This thing, Jesus music, found its way in my hometown. And it changed my life. When it comes to music and how we can express ourselves, we don't have to do it the way it was done before. You want to find a loving way to have these conversations. My generation had seen all of the civil unrest. Most of us were trying to escape the pain and the misery. Where do we go from here? You feel like something's in the wind. This soundtrack emerges. They had no idea they were helping to create an entire industry. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. You don't know you're a pioneer or something when you're doing it. We were just doing what we love. You had grunge, and you had pop, and you had rock, and you had hip-hop. There was so much great music going on. Everything felt so fresh and new. What we were doing said so much across the world. It was so much drama in the church. Every setback, there would be a glimmer of hope. Money, cultural influence off the charts. It's bigger than any one person or one artist. Offers people a sense of hope. Yeah, there was tension on DC Talks. Here's the deal. I've never shared this with anybody. Would you change anything? Let's not forget, music is God's idea. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world. Music was a lifeline. It became part of the fabric of who I was. It pushed me to do some courageous things. It touches the soul like somebody talking to you, you can't. And you can do all of that in three and a half minutes. The Jesus music, yes. Yeah. The trailer was about as long as the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, real quick, a couple of facts about the Jesus music before we dive into some thoughts of ours. The Jesus music is a 2021 American documentary film directed by the Irwin Brothers. Some of you may be familiar with the Irwin Brothers. They directed I Can Only Imagine and a number of other films. Uh, the documentary details the history of contemporary Christian music, what we refer to as CCM, 
as a musical and cultural phenomenon. The film was released on October 1st, 2021. The film documents the history of CCM from its roots in the Jesus music of the 1970s through the Christian rock and Christian metal era of the 80s and 90s into the rise of praise and worship music in the early 21st century. A number of prominent figures in Christian music are interviewed. Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, C.C. Winans, Toby Mack, Tate, Kirk Franklin, Russ Taff, Lecrae, Lauren Daigle, just to name a handful. The film received 63% positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes with a fan score of 97%. The film grossed $1 million bucks at the box office last year. So there's a few... Facts for you on the Jesus Music documentary. I don't know if anyone has seen it, but we're going to talk about it in depth. So if you care about spoilers, I mean, it's just a documentary. It kind of documents <laughs> history, things that say, have happened. <laughs> uh, Does DC Talk stay together? <laughs> I don't know yet. I've only listened through Jesus Freak. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Um, it's kind of funny. This is an episode of Shade Cinema. I mean, it makes sense that it is, but we're talking about music the whole time kind of thing. So it feels a little bit more like the CCM episodes we've done or the review of different albums we've done. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a conglomeration of all that, but I'm excited. I didn't know this documentary existed until y'all told me about it. (laughs) And and naturally with it being a documentary about something Christian, my first question is, is this going to depress me? (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, no, no, it's not. And it really, it really did. It really, it really is. It's just a, um, a, a retelling of the history and how everything unfolded and all of that. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. In about an hour and 40 minutes, which is really hard to do to cover a span of Ooh, 50 dude, plus years. Dude, my, really hard to do. The thing that probably did made they me, do it. The thing that probably made me laugh the hardest was at the very near the very end of the documentary. They do just this series of shots of faces yeah. of people they interviewed of different yeah. artists. And all what made me laugh was all the different artists who are huge artists, big names, who clearly they did an interview with, and none of their footage made it into the final. Did, did he use a single second of their <laughs> of their interview? Like what, twelve artists, maybe? Oh, or more. You just get their face flashed. Oh, dude, there's like, a ton oh. of people. Or, or yeah. there's an artist that you know. Oh man, they sat down with that person for probably like a couple hours or something, and they got one line, just one or one, two lines, one sentence. Yeah, in, in the documentary. But I mean, there's just like you said, you're covering such a large period of time. And so many people and so many, I mean, it's so interesting to talk about Christian music as a genre because really within it, there are so many genres. And so, I mean, you're just covering just this massive, uh, it's, it's massive in scope. And so, yeah. It is. It's a big undertaking for a documentary like that. You don't really, like... There's not a lot of documentaries that come out, and it's like, all right, let's cover all of rock music in an hour and a half. And it's right. like, well, that's impossible. It's, you you could, usually you could, get like the Netflix series where it's like, we're going to cover five years at a time. Exactly. It's like, no, dude, I just watched nine hours about one album that the Beatles made. <laughs> You're going to cover true. the span of rock history in an hour and a half? Not happening. Yeah. So I, you know, that that's probably my one one of my critiques. And yeah. but it's. Purely budgetary, I'm sure, on their part. Right. To have to put the documentary together the way that they did. Yeah. It would have been have, cool to see a series. I would have loved, like, okay, really give, cool. me, give me, like, 80 minutes on the 70s. You yeah. Know? Give yeah. me, like, 
DC Talk. Yeah, I want to do, do an episode. Do it by decades. You know what I mean? Like something yeah, like that. Yeah, do it by decades. Mm-hmm. You know, because be really it is cool. hard. There's just so much stuff that they that you have to cover. But, but I will say this. Even though I definitely have a couple of critiques and such, um, overarchingly, like I found it to be helpful. Like there was a ton of stuff that I didn't know. Oh yeah, or me that too. I had missed that I was like, oh, that's actually really helpful in just thinking of how all of this unfolded over the years. And and so yeah, I, I think I agree, es- especially if you don't have any kind of background or interaction with the world of. CCM Christian music. I think it, it's a really helpful bird's eye view. It is, yeah, mm-hmm. it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for someone that doesn't really know much about the history of it and how it started, it's a really good, helpful guide for sure. Yeah. It gives you a bunch of artists you've probably never heard of before, right? Mm-hmm. Well, like and that. for me, as a as a kid, primarily in the late eighties, early nineties, and really didn't get to listen to like that kind of Christian music until the 90s, it was just kind of cool to see where all of the artists I loved, kind of where they sat in the timeline yeah. and what mm-hmm. the lead-up was right. to them. Um, yeah, yeah. It, that, that was kind of cool to see. Yeah, because, mm-hmm. I mean, generally speaking, the three of us, and we covered some of this on our CCM episode that we've done. Which uh, everyone's listened to. Which I know you all <laughs> have listened to. Uh, but we were all kind of... You know, grew up listening to a lot of the '90s Christian music. Right. Would probably yep. be maybe early 2000s yeah. as well, but primarily the, the '90s was such a big heyday, as they uh, highlight in the film, where it was sort of like a culmination of every genre possible, and the machine had really been perfected mm-hmm. by the '90s in terms of the industry, and so you had rock music and pop and hip hop and grunge and hev- heavy rock and all that stuff. It was right. all Everything was there, whereas, you know, in the 70s, it very much was birthed out of the Jesus movement at Calvary Chapel. And so it was like a lot of hippies that got saved and were writing music and like Larry Norman and people like that. And and one of the things that was really cool to me specifically, once again, about the 90s section of it, and and they did this in more than the 90s section, but uh, and I'm, I'm sure what I'm about to mention, we'll talk about more in depth in just a minute. But like when we talked through our CCM ep- episode and we talked about the music we grew up on, um, that was a very thin slice yes. of the music that was coming out in the 90s because obviously we all grew up in primarily white evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. And so that's one slice of the music. So we, I didn't grow up knowing what was going on uh, in uh, African Americans' uh, churches and music, and I didn't grow up on Kirk Franklin, and I didn't grow right. up, and, and so one of the things I very much appreciated about the documentary was it tried to take a a much wider angle lens. Um, we can talk about whether or not they achieved that well, but they try to take a wider angle lens and be like, here's what's going on across the board, and they even try to dip into a little bit of like, uh, here's why uh, the uh, even Christian music industry was somewhat was segregated, really, yeah. you know, and why you really end up with CCM as a genre that's primarily white dominated, and if you're a black artist, then you're labeled as gospel. gospel. Yeah, right. and they and they delve into that a little bit, and I appreciated that. Um, and it it expanded my horizons of what was going on in the '90s music wise in the yeah. Christian music industry. So I have a question. Okay. And y'all may or may not know the answer to this, but when we talk about the Christian music industry, who are we talking about? 
<laughs> are we talking about record labels? Are we talking about entities within record labels? Like when we're talking about Amy Grant and we're talking about Michael W. Smith, are they signed to Christian labels or are they signed to labels like any other artist would be signed to? Is it a little bit of both? What are we talking about when we talk about the Christian music industry? Yeah, that's a great question that they really don't talk about a lot in the <laughs> documentary. I mean, they yeah. talk about CCM, but it's, it highlights the artists. It never actually talks about the industry side of it. Like, who are the record label executives? Who signed who? Who discovered this person? Yes. You know, how did, you know, why, why is there Capitol Records, but then Capitol has a Christian, uh, you know, department or yeah. a Christian label, a subsidiary, you know, how did yes. all that come about? They kind of don't really address any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think they... Because the focus is really on the music I itself. was about to say, probably because you have to be a little bit nerdier to want to know. <laughs> Well, and they already left out yeah. 20 artists that they interviewed, so... It would be interesting to see that, because I feel like when you For talk sure. about bigger bands, like when you talk about the Beatles, or you kind of get... You do get a little of that information, like, well, this was their manager, and these are the kind of things that he was doing. You know, yes. you kind of get I, some of that, and you didn't really get a lot of that in this documentary. Right. I know we're just all kind of gabbing about the thing in general right now, and right. y'all may have a more systematic way for us to walk through this in just a second, but... but the sense that I got from it was that it was much more grassroots early on. And so it didn't yes. really involve as much as kind of the the label and like the industry. And it kind of like codified and became an industry kind of more in the 80s. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and that's yeah. when you really began to get kind of more of the... I think When I think Christian music industry... Um, I, I do kind of separate it from the artist a little bit, and I think of it as an industry whose primary objective is monetary. Like it's right. like it's it's an industry because it's like we are trying to produce a product that's going to sell and that's going to make money. And I think that that kind of more codifies and, and comes together in the 80s, and that's when you get kind of some more produced things. But, I mean, it's it's a very unwieldy thing yeah. to get your hands on because it doesn't involve a singular entity. Like, right, it involves exactly. a multiplicity of record labels. And even artists will change record labels throughout their careers. Uh, within the Christian music, you'll have artists that are on a Christian label but then move to what would be categorized as a secular label. They're going to be a crossover artist. You know, I mean, so it just gets a little unwieldy, you know, to yep. – uh, it's it's kind of like when people say the church, y you know, like, right? Exactly. What I mean, this thing is unwieldy. Like like it's not like you can actually point a finger at this one institution. Like we're actually made up of a whole bunch of different institutions and things like that. And there's no official. Yes, there is the church in the sense of every authentic believer in Jesus is a part of the universal church. But like to truly talk about it we got to break it down more than that and i, I think it's kind of like that with the christian music industry there's not a table with 10 executives at it and that's the christian music industry it's it's a conglomeration right. of a bunch of different organizations yeah so it's kind of just hard to i guess and i think a bunch of different that. organizations saying we can make a lot of money off this and there is some real talent here because i feel like sometimes with ccm everyone can poke fun we talk about how ridiculous it is, but one of the things I think you see in the documentary is the talent 
of some of these artists that caused a lot of big companies to take note and just to see the response that was happening, whether you want to say it was from Christians or people that were just interested in the music or kind of interested in faith, responding to some of these uh, names. And, uh, I mean, some of these Christian artists selling out very large venues. Stadiums. <laughs> and stadiums. So, Well, yeah, let's, let's get to yeah. that a little bit. So let's go to the beginning of the documentary. They kind of lay out a history, a timeline. They begin with the counterculture of the 60s, late 60s. You have the sexual revolution. You have political revolutions happening, civil rights. You got have war in Vietnam. War in Vietnam, right. So yep. Kennedy assassination. Right. You've got MLK assassination. Drug culture. Yep. Drug mm-hmm. culture blooming. Uh, the Beatles, you know, rock music, psychedelic, all this stuff is happening in American culture. So they kind of paint a picture. Here's what's happening in the, across the American landscape. And then uh, revival breaks out, and you have what we call the Jesus Movement, which was kind of based out of Cal- Calvary Chapel in California. You have you know, hippie preacher Lonnie Frisbee, who's like a big name. And they kind of run through this pretty quickly, but once that starts to happen, you basically have uh, church music, you get all these hippie musicians that get saved. They're like, let's write, like, let's write music, you know, let's write and sing music in our churches instead of just singing only hymns all the time. Let's use drums. Let's use electric guitars. So that kind of births, you know, just the use of instruments uh, in church like that. It's pretty, just to pause there for way. a second, yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think about a time where that was scandalous. <laughs> yeah. And unheard of. What, what's so crazy, though, the, it, the only option, right, was hymns and choirs and hymnals. What's so crazy, though, an organ and piano. It, to me, so we're talking circa 1970. Yeah. What's so crazy to me is how long that controversy will last. Yeah. I mean, we were living I grew in up, the yep. early 90s in the thick of the worship wars. Yeah. Early 2000s, you know? it was happening yeah. in my church. Yeah. And so that's that's what's crazy is is the tip of the spear yeah. is in 1970. Right. But like if you'd have asked us as kids, we'd have been like, man, this is so controversial. This must have just this, we must be the first church to do this. <laughs> um, is what it felt like. Yeah. You know? I think it's just wild to think about it that type of music not even existing. Yeah. In any way, shape, or form, you know, yeah. and church music really being this very particular type of music. So I guess, I mean, I guess uh, you have gospel music sure. that's happening. Definitely yeah, gospel music. Yeah, and there you, was gospel music with that. Was happening. You and might have a band. I mean, you would have also in the had. 60s, you maybe? would have also had know. spirituals. Um, so yeah. African American spirituals, and I mean, you can go back to uh, a lot of early. Uh, African American music that was being put down on vinyl, and so that's definitely a different genre right. than like hymnody and stuff like. That. So, there, so there was, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely some variety, but um, it, there, there was whether you were in uh, primarily like white evangelical circles or whether you were in uh, African American churches, like what you did on Sunday morning was pretty consistent mm-hmm. within, yeah those respective limited genres. Right, yeah. There's a tiny quote that happens in the middle of the documentary. It's one of the dudes from Petra, and he says something like, rock and roll started in the church. And I and it's very it's a brief thing. It's sort of vague. Like, what is he talking about? What does that mean? 
And I think what he's actually trying to say is that if you trace the roots of rock and roll and you trace that back to blues and then you and jazz and you keep going further and further back, you get African American spirituals uh, right. and how much that influenced those genres of music yes. that would then create, you know, rock music. Yep. That would then Yeah. You know, so it's like at the end of the day, like the church started rock and roll. You know that's <laughs> that's such a good point because I was Christians started rock and roll. Yeah, Let, let's get more specific. The the black church. Yes, the black <laughs> church, the abolitionist yeah. movement. Can we just really be, like, cool. you know what I mean? Can we just be honest and say that we owe the black church all good music? Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. All good music. Period. Yeah, I remember that line. I'm glad you pointed that out, JM, because I can remember thinking, what does the does he mean by that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I he doesn't really go into it, but I feel like that's kind of what they're getting at there. It's like, yeah, it, it started in the church. Um, real quick, in the 70s, this, this blew my mind, and I don't know if you guys were keen to this or not. So we were talking about the worship wars earlier. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The most prominent figure that I can think of in evangelical culture, especially in America in the modern era, Billy Graham was a champion of all of this rock music. Dude, dude. How amazing is that? So so what <laughs> blew my mind, what blew my mind was I had no idea the role that Billy Graham had played. That's what I'm saying. In the development of basically CCM. It blew my mind. At two <laughs> pivotal points though. Two, yeah, yes. two times. Two. So yes. so in the 70s, 1972, they did, they did yeah. uh, what Expo. was Expo. Explode. 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 <laughs> yeah man, explosion, but let's just get rid of the jun. Explode. Explode. Um, did this event in Dallas? Like, I want Christian have, Woodstock. My, my stinking family was in Texas in 1972. I'd, I'd have to do the the numbers to know how old my parents were at the, at that point in time. But they're, they're in Texas. They're in the church atmosphere. They definitely would have been Billy Graham fans. Surely they knew about this. I, you would I, think. I gotta ask them. I gotta ask them, but anyway, but yeah. So they do this basically what gets characterized as the Christian Woodstock, right. yeah, um, and have just a mass. It's really a mass youth movement. Yep. And Billy Graham preaches at it, and you have figures like Johnny Cash. Johnny Chris, Cash was there. Chris Christopherson, Larry Norman, Larry Andre Norman. Crouch. It was a huge lineup. Yeah, yeah. Andre Crouch, and Andre so Crouch. so breaking racial barriers too. Right. You know. Right. Um, and so just. Yeah, and then he does it again in the nineties. Yeah. Where basically he's seeing like a dip, if you will, and kind of you know, I mean, and Billy Graham did these huge evangelistic crusade events. And he's like, Man, if we don't move forward with uh, the music that is engaging younger people, we're not gonna engage younger people. And so yep. he's thinking brings in DC, DC Talk. Talk and Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And does in the this 90s. big Huge crusade with them, which again... 80, 85,000 people in 1994. Yeah, where was it? Wild. Do you remember? Do you remember where that was? Uh, but uh, I, don't, I didn't write it down. Regardless, remember, but regardless yeah. again, so twice, yeah. it's almost like you've got mainstream evangelicalism being very skeptical of this music, and twice Billy Graham's like... Billy Graham stamp of approval. Yeah. yeah. Boom. Well, you have the f- kind of the yep. fundamentalist wing, like the Jimmy Swaggart... 
who's sort of uh, he's preaching out against devil music in right. church. Rock music is the devil's music. Yeah, but, well, especially which that, broke that, Striper's that, heart. Right. That, that, they, that, they wait, got wait, 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 saved. Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. Okay, let's wait. Right, let's get there because that's the eighties. We don't have to talk okay, about that's that. the eighties. Let's get there. Well, one of the things now that we're talking let's, about this, let's finish the seventies. And this relates to the seventies. Is it's so great to listen to some of the music in the lyrics of these Christian artists who are just like, listen, it's okay that I'm playing rock and roll music and putting Jesus's name on it. So like Larry Normal, Larry Normal, Norman, Larry Norman, definitely not normal. I want the people to know that he saved my soul, but I still like to listen to the radio. I love it. I say it feels so good. I got to get up and dance. I Tell him, Larry. Right. I know what's wrong. I don't confuse it. <laughs> all I'm really trying to say is why should, should the, the devil have all the good music? But guys, you know, like w- without just this, without r- this, without this, everything we do, like on Sunday, <laughs> doesn't happen, like musically. Crazy. Oh man. Yes. I- just the need to defend themselves because of all the attacks. I listen to the. Ra- I'm a Christian, and I hey, I listen to the radio, and I like rock and roll music. Wow, I love it. My favorite quote from the entire movie. It's it's in the '70s, and uh, it doesn't necessarily relate directly to music, but it it's Billy Graham, and it's when he's speaking at Explode '72, and there's a quote that they leave in there that I loved so much. Because, like we were saying earlier, we're painting kind of this picture of the American landscape in the uh, late '60s, early '70s. I mean, I mean, this is right after like the pass of the Civil Rights Bill, and yeah. you know, all of these things. And here's Billy Graham, just, I mean, just knocking a home run, just having a great just day, just laying it down, just laying it down. And he sa- this is the quote. He says, "True faith must be applied to the social problems of our world today." Christian young people ought to be involved in the problems of poverty, ecology, war, racial tension, and all the other problems of our generation. Wait, yep, wait, 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 wait. That wait. was in 1972. Wait, 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 time out, time out. I, I, think, I think Billy Graham said that yesterday, right. and he's a flaming liberal. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I it's mean, amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really is. Really interesting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Billy Graham, it 1972. Yeah, 1972. Another thing, JM, because I was fascinated to go back and listen to some of this early music that was coming out of Calvary Cha- Chapel sure. in yeah. California. And I, you, so you have preachers saying, like, this is devil music, this is satanic music. So imagine hearing a preacher saying that, and you probably get a little curious. Yeah. And then you go and... John Mark, put on the song Welcome Back, expecting to hear satanic evil music. Can I can I tell you one of my favorite things is so I was the <laughs> Oh, it's the devil's music, Brad. <laughs> this is pretty good. I've never heard this. It does sound kind of like a trance there. This is a love song. Yeah, love song. Yeah, they probably didn't yeah, like it because it. it sounded like the Beatles or something. I, I think you that's know? it. Yeah, I think They're so. like, oh, it sounds like the Beatles. That's yeah. devil music. One of the things I loved was I was the yeah, last right. one of us to watch this uh, this documentary. Yeah. And as I'm watching it, 
I'm like pausing it every three seconds to look up a band and listen to their music. And I look yep. up, I think it was Love Song. I look up and on Apple Music, oh. you know how when you're friends with somebody on Apple Music, it'll show you the music they've listened to. Yeah. So like everything I look up, it's got Brad's little icon on it because <laughs> well, he Brad done the exact little, same thing. Brad made a little playlist called the Jesus Music on oh, Apple nice. Music. Oh, nice. Yeah, Please share that you. with me. Yeah, I was actually going to request that. Yeah, it's got songs from the dog. That is hilarious. Well, that's kind of the 70s. In the 80s, they talk about how the CCM brand is building. and Wait, I'm sorry. Is oh, Keith is Green the 70s thing? or the 80s? Yeah. Keith Green was the 70s. They mention him briefly. All I want to say they is if you've briefly. never like, interacted with Keith Green at all, no. just go like watch some of his YouTube videos. Check out some of his watch songs. We play talking. some of his songs. Watch him Yes, talking. watch him talking. Just a crazy guy. There's a biography on him that's a, a phenomenal read so just to say that before we move yeah, on yeah there's a redeemer yeah they they we, we've got to acknowledge they the fact mention that him. oh we've got to acknowledge the fact if this 2 hour documentary leaves out 90% of the people that need to be talked about yes. we're about to leave out like exactly. 99% of the people that need to be I talked know. about i yeah, know yeah yeah exactly yeah so please don't get offended but, well, when we yeah. miss your favorite but Keith artist green was like giving his music away for free and, and they pe- mention <laughs> that they mention it but they're like oh we're just going to throw that in there but in the 80s we were selling tons of records there we go yeah. <laughs> oh funny yeah. how that works huh yeah, yeah and they and well, they also barely mentioned Phil Kagey, who's arguably one of the greatest guitar players ever and i think they actually interview him, and they used like one line. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Phil Kecky, who has played a who concert pl- at Shades Valley at Community Shades. Church. Really? This mentioned. is true. pretty awesome. This um, is true. Okay, but so in the eighties, I felt like they highlighted two. Mm, maybe I'm not remembering right, but but no, you're right. Two primary kind of directions. So they yeah. kind of they highlighted like the the hair metal. Yep. Side of things and then kind of the pop yep. side of things is, is really what they highlighted. And so we can get to Striper, uh, who you were talking about with the hair metal side of things. And so this story blew my mind. Okay. So Striper, uh, two, two of the members of Striper were brothers. Uh-huh. And they like came to faith as a family watching Jimmy, Jimmy Swagger. <laughs> On television. And then, like, because they come to faith that way... They're already in a band. They like, metal band. Yes. And yeah. so they Hair start metal. changing their lyrics, but they keep watching Jimmy Swaggart because he's kind of like their pastor yeah. on TV. They become this wildly successful, like, metal Christian band, not just in Christian circles. Like, yep. uh-huh. on MTV, their first video is outranking Bon Jovi. Yep. Yeah. They are outranking Motley Crue. All <laughs> right. Right. And then Jimmy Swagger starts holding up their record on television <laughs> and talking about Satan. How I it's know. so Satan. And and the poor man, I felt so bad. I wanted to give him a hug. I, I know. Sit there just really talking sad. about how heartbroken he's he was. Like, I was devastated. Devastated because this I guy. Know. They looked at him as like a spiritual father, and I, I'm like, I wonder if Swaggart ever heard that story that like two oh, of them man. had come to faith watching him. I know. So that just yeah, yeah. blows so my mind. Let's hear a little let's striper. Hear a little striper, and you need to see them. To oh goodness, the man! They had a whole look. It's so 80s. The song's called "To Hell with the Devil." 
think that was the name of one of the albums. It's one. It's off the album. <laughs> to hell with the devil. Let me fast forward. That. So much vibrato on his face, dude. You know, as I started looking through some of the metal music, they really talk a lot about the devil. It's a recurring theme in Christian metal music. Which is odd, because they're like, you know, for, for it being called the devil's music, they sure are spending a lot of time denouncing the devil. It's, it's it Satan's music. And the literal lyrics are like, to hell with the devil. Man. It's, oh, man. You know, I but, mean, you can't make this up, guys. You can't make this up. <laughs> but yeah, so you have the metal side, but then you also have the pop side well, that's that's happening with Amy Grant. They're two primary highlights. They do go to more, but or Michael Amy Grant, Michael w. w. Smith. And just to get a taste of Amy Grant when she's in the pop vibes, play "Wise Up," John. Mark. Sorry, no. I had baby now that's nineties. I think. Oh, is this 90s? Sorry. Yes. My bad. But this is her in the 80s. Okay, and here we go. 80s I don't is know when she put out. Wise Up is the one I think, JM. Oh, yeah. Is this Madonna? Right. Are we at a mall right now? Are we about to see a concert at a mall? I'm not sure about Climbing in where there's temptation Can I get back out? I never can quite find the answer The one I want to hear Didn't to the base justifies <laughs> my know. action Says the coast is clear Something on the outside Says to jump oh, on wow. in Something on the inside yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't think I realized Because she was a little before my time So right. I just don't think I realized how big she was. I didn't. Um, I I had never heard her whole story. Um, so like I never knew about like her early music. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't until like the Unguarded album, which is when she really begins to kind of like come into her own in the in the pop scene. Um, yep. That that I think I'd ever heard of any of her her music really. Yep. Um, but you know the the arc of her entire story is she's kind of like the first really big crossover artist, you know, yeah. where she has a ton of success on, uh, I mean, I, I mean, obviously we got Striper going on, but that's a very specific music genre. Yeah. But when we're talking like just pop radio and she gets success there too, takes a heck of a lot of criticism for it. Ha like half the documentary is about how Christians playing music took criticism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I know. From other Christians, right, from other Christians, from other Christians. Um, yeah, but uh, it's true. But yeah, it has a ton of success there. I mean, she's uh, on Oprah. She's oh, yeah. doing a performance on Oprah. Oprah's like Amy Grant. <laughs> it's, it's so funny to go to go back and watch. Oh, and I know this is getting out of the eighties, but right, uh, right, right. But she's one of the artists that really gets attacked heavily um, over her personal life. Yes. Um, so she ends up getting a divorce. She was married to another Christian artist. Um, I did not know that. Yes. But she gets a divorce and then marries Vince Gill. Um, and, and you can go online. There's a Larry King interview where he's just like asking them questions. 
But like, Goodness. it kind of shows the level they were at. They're on Larry King. Right. It was know? a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, just all sorts of. And Vince Gill was like country writer. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. All sorts of rumors and accusations and this other and and to a large extent it virtually tanks her career, like especially in Christian circles. The part of the story I didn't know, I didn't realize that kind of the resuscitation of her career uh really came via Mercy Me. I had no idea that she like was the opener for Mercy Me when oh. they were starting to get big and like like yeah and they got a lot of flack for that yeah they got a lot of flack for it and all that i Mm -hmm. I had no idea about all of that yeah i was unaware of that because they said in her career at one point maybe like in the early 90s she had sold 10 million records yeah she'd sold quite a bit and then like throughout her career she sold like i thought they said 85 didn't they say she's the first christian artist to ever go platinum yeah, I think that is true. And do you know what platinum is, JM? That's one million. Okay. Gold is five hundred thousand. Platinum is one million albums uh, for one album. So that means if you're, you know, if your album's platinum, then that one record sold one million physical copies. Yeah. Well, well, I'll just say this too: she seems so down to earth oh, and approachable. Sure. She, she has sold thirty million, more than thirty million albums worldwide, all yeah. time. Yeah, and in the uh, I mean, she just she's from Augusta, Georgia. You know, right. she seems like a really nice girl from Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. In the interviews, um, so true story. Uh, my the music minister at my church growing up. Um, so this would have been in the nineties. Uh, you know, he led our youth choir as well, mm-hmm. and he to try and encourage people uh, who didn't feel like they were talented singing wise. He used to tell the story of the time that uh, someone had said, hey, I got this girl that sings, really wanted to come sing a concert at your church, and he was given a demo tape, and he said, thanks, but no thanks, and it was Amy Grant. <laughs> really early on. Uh, really early on. It was funny, too, when she was talking early in her career, going to sing, and uh, someone mentioned $300, and she's like, I can't afford to pay $300. <laughs> to come like, sing for y'all. They're like, no, we're going to pay you $300. Oh, and she was man. like, oh, wow. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't listen to a whole lot of Amy Grant, Growing up, the only but baby, baby, that's what JM was gonna play. Yeah, that is her. I mean, that's the hit that took her. Yeah, the the only thing I really remember listening to of hers growing up was her Christmas stuff. Oh yeah, tender Tennessee Christmas. Oh yeah. When when do they first? So they did go into a a little bit of um what was going on in um the African American church as far as music in the eighties. But when do they hit? Franklin, Kirk, the is that, 90s. that's the nineties. Yeah, okay, the 90s. we can yeah. we can hang on to that. The nineties, yeah. the nineties, they really. So the quote is that basically like the the CCM machine has been perfected at this point. So in the eighties, you see skyrocketing music sales uh, through genres such as metal. So you had Petra, DeGarmo, and and Key. You had Striper. You had Amy Grant on the pop side of things. Michael W. Smith emerges as well. They're like a force together. They write together. And uh, and then the 90s happen, and you just basically get kind of everything. There's the golden there's, age. There's grunge. Mm-hmm. There's rock. There's pop. There's hip-hop and rap. I mean, you can remember when you would get like, I, I used to get like these little catalogs or whatever, and it would be like, 
do you like Eminem? <laughs> oh, yeah, then yeah. Then you'll like, you know, yep. or do you jo- like... Josh Rubin, what was his do name? Do you like Radiohead? This is what, you, you know, it's like that whole thing. Do you like Nirvana? Well, here you go. You yep. like Alanis Morissette? Here's Rebecca St. James. Yeah, yeah seriously. And so that's kind of what... She was one in the documentary that they showed, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, like two seconds. Yep. Yeah, so you get kind of the the perfection of the machine, and now you have genres popping up everywhere. It's 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 a uh, it's becoming this thing where there's there's a huge concert industry behind it as well, and uh, and then emerges DC Talk, and so DC Talk they really focus they focus primarily on I would say during the '90s two movements: the DC Talk. And Kirk Franklin. Yes. Those are kind of the two that they that they yeah. really focus on. For We've quite definitely a bit. never talked about DC Talk <laughs> on on this program before. And I gotta say that the trailer to this documentary makes you think like Toby Max says something like, oh, "I've never never shared this stuff before." And so you're thinking when you watch the trailer, you're like, "Oh my gosh, she's gonna spill the beans." There's gonna be all this stuff about DC Talk that we've yeah. never heard about. And they kind of don't really even talk about stuff. It's all well, very, it's all about the ego. Yes. And I'm like, okay, but what, like, what was really going on? Well, you know, he <laughs> said, I like the right to reserve for this not to be shared. And I wonder if yeah. he said, I don't want, actually, I don't want that. Yeah, you don't, they, you camera. don't ever really know if so you don't what know. he says next makes it in. Yeah. yeah. So and they do get Tate and they get Kevin Max and Kevin Max is sort of uh, like begrudgingly there <laughs> in the interview and I mean whatever he was probably like I don't want to talk about this anymore why do I have to still talk about this but uh, I mean we all know we all love DC Talk we did a whole episode on Jesus Freak so yeah yes. everybody knows our love for DC. I yeah. feel like they also used the '90s to try to show the humanity of they did some of the artists so they talked about. Russ Tate, Taff, Taff, yeah. Russ Taff. Yeah, I yeah. have you all heard of him before? I had not. Mm-mm. Yeah, but I knew he was like a big artist. I just not listened to him a lot, but I I remember that being like a big story because I think that was pretty public, like his his battle uh, with alcoholism. alcoholism. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. I can remember, dude. Okay, I can remember. I was just gonna say I can remember rumors like someone says that. DC Talk smokes weed at their right. concerts. Like there would always be little rumblings like oh, that yeah. Yeah, yeah. that were happening around. Or was it you that told me a rumor about the Gaither band and some <laughs> individuals? Somebody and told me that that thought that they that had played drums, but I didn't really know who the guy was. You know, I'm like, I don't know. You're just telling me random stuff right now, dude. Well, I don't know if I can trust you or not. D- right do, you, yeah. do you know who was the surprising like breakout star of the documentary to me in that whole section? Where they're talking about like the humanity of the artist oh, and this kind of I that. felt the same way too. Bill Gaither. Bill Gaither. Bill, I, Bill I just, Gaither. It's the t- same thing with Billy Graham. I was just like, Bill Gaither. <laughs> what in the world? This guy is just spitting truth right now. Just a rock star. I, man. I love this man. <laughs> um, I I don't think I've ever watched an interview with Bill Gaither. I know nothing of no. Bill Gaither other than like children's music that I listened yep. to growing up, and then like the Bill Gaither like homecoming events. You can you YouTube on Bill TV. Gaither, and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking like Southern gospel Southern and gospel? like kind of these yes. big anthems, kind of like, cheesy. Gatlinburg you know, they, shows. They have I Mark mean, Mark Lowry and, would and, sing with him and do like his comedy stand up. Bill Gaither, it's all cheesy stuff. Just as they interview him in the section has just this incredible pastoral heart yes so good. for people and even at one point it's like 
So this one time I was talking with Jerry Falwell, and he was talking to me about, you know, some of these lifestyles I hear about with these artists, and are these rumors true? And I just looked at him and I said, Jerry, probably so. But you, but you know what, Jerry? If you're waiting on me to get a room full of perfect artists, Jerry, it's just never going to happen. Oh, yeah. man. I love that. Oh, so it was so great. It was so great. I, yes. it, it, I was not the, ready for it's it. It's the unsung heroes, really. It's the unsung heroes of this doc that just I just walked away going, I, I really like this person a lot more. Yeah, man. Yeah. This. Yeah, man. It, well, it's just funny because 100%. they're set. So Billy Graham, he's set right in the middle of all of these hippies. Yeah. Uh, and 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 then he's set right in the middle of DC talking about it. And then you got Bill Gaither, and he's set right in the middle <laughs> of all of these just art. Like, it, they just feel so out of context, and yet they're they're – Doing amazing things and saying amazing things, and like you said, spitting truth is great. Is great. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then you get Kirk Franklin. I know you wanted to talk about Kirk Franklin a little bit, but that that's a great angle too because he's able to illuminate some of the racial tension that uh, exists in the Christian music industry. We mentioned this earlier. You know, mm-hmm. this deviation of well, this is CCM and this is gospel because you're black or, or whatever. You, right. You, it's hip hop, so it fits more into the gospel mold. And you know, Kirk Franklin uh, was massive. He was a massive like the like. There's this movie called Any Given Sunday. I don't know if you guys have ever seen. It's like a football movie that Oliver Stone directed. And Revolution, the song, is in that well, movie. Well, I, that, I have like, that on the playlist if someone wants to get a taste of Kirk just, Franklin. Just a maybe, massive artist. Well, do, do, so, well, I mean, they're playing that on hip-hop and rap stations. T- talking about how massive he is, one of my favorite yeah. moments in the midst of that, they start talking about the song Stomp. <laughs> yeah. And I don't I don't even remember who they were interviewing, but the guy's like, y'all, they were playing Stomp in the club, <laughs> like like the club club, like people were dancing to stomp in ways where I'm like, you can't be dancing to stomp like that. <laughs> yes, and he talks. But, uh, this is how huge stomp was. Like, okay, yes, I I grew up, you know, I mean, sheltered in a lot of ways and completely oblivious to a lot of the social issues that were going on around me. Right. right. My youth choir sang stomp, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, we sang yeah. Kirk Franklin I had songs. No idea. That it was written by Kirk Franklin or anything right. like that. Right. Oh yeah. I, uh, you know, but that's how huge it that's was. That's how huge it was. He talks about. Uh, was it? I can't. This is going to sound bad. I can't remember. Was it Salt or Pepper? Uh, salt becoming yeah. a Christian and yeah. singing with him. Yeah. He's was- like, she was growing in her faith at the time, and I was like, wait, Salt and Pepper? Are you serious with Kirk Franklin? I had no idea. Dude, there was a uh, there was a Billy Graham event that happened in my hometown. Now this was in the. It was in the 90s, and Billy Graham at that point, like he, he was already getting to the point in his uh, uh, age that he didn't speak at all the events that had his name on them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, And so he wasn't speaking at this event, but it was a Billy Graham crusade in my hometown. Musical artist, Kirk Franklin. Kirk Franklin, see? Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah, man. Interesting. Billy Graham doing things. But, yes. yeah. Um, and so they, and they bring in some other artists as well, CC. Uh, they bring CC in Winans, yeah. Well, and it's cool because they actually they uh, they parallel Kirk Franklin and kind of what he dealt with, and then they bring in Lecrae as well as sort of like a modern parallel. Yeah, you know, and Lecrae well, kind Tate, of exists. Tate tells his story along and the Tate, way. And Tate, oh man, too. yeah, yeah, um, that story. Uh, was we it actually, like he, yeah, we shared that when we did the DC talk. Yeah, album. where he sits. To, is it a restaurant or a gas station or something? I what was I, that? I think it's a. 
gas station. Oh, yeah, it's Terrible. a gas station in Tennessee. Where he just experiences some yeah. just overt yeah. racism. Yeah, basically, um, the guy tells him that he needs to leave by sundown or he's going to get killed. Dude, yeah. They, uh, I think the guy said hung. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was the section in which I felt like the documentary did a good job of not just not just highlighting uh, the racial divide that existed in uh, and exists right. uh, in the church, but also kind of like a, mo- a, a prophetic moment of saying, hey, this is still an ongoing issue. One of my favorite moments, mm-hmm. and, and then we can, can move on if you want, um, but was they, they played part of Kirk Franklin's speech at the Dove Awards. Oh, man, mm-hmm. so good. And, and I wrote this down. Yeah, um, bring it, dude. Let's Franklin it. says, if we are the light of the world, no wonder the world is so dark because our light is fragmented. Yeah, mm. that was good. That was really good, mm. man. And, and that was pretty recent when he gave that interview, right? I don't it, know it, when that Dove Awards was. It seemed was. like it, it was very recent to me. Uh, yeah, like, like maybe, uh, like I, I probably it definitely could have been. Pre, they, they, I think it was pre George Floyd and all of that, but I think it 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 was maybe amidst like some of the BLM right and and some of those things happening kind of across the country, yeah. police brutality and things like that. Yeah, it definitely could have been more recent, but they kind of like during that ninety section, they almost kind of take a pause to focus in and highlight like that aspect yeah. of the story that they're telling. In the documentary. Yeah, they did a great job with that, mm-hmm. I thought. And obviously, I mean, we haven't even mentioned all of the different artists that we personally listened to yeah. growing up, that they, they tell I mean, a lot of their stories right. uh, during during that, or, or they get a very brief mention. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just John, the 90s John is Foreman, so crazy. John Foreman from Switchfoot. I don't even know if he said anything or if they just showed his face. They just showed well, his face, man. I mean, there's how, just so many people. How do you even begin to cover it? I mean, how about Rich Mullins? And they, I think they oh. mentioned him oh, one yeah. time. Like, like totally, like, like skip, hop, jump, like leapfrog over Rich Mullins. And and I, I kind of have a feeling he was so countercultural within Christian music itself, as were people like Larry Norman, but and Keith Green. Uh, but Rich Mullins was so countercultural. Like, I, I don't think they had time to like yeah. cover the fact that. You know, he would give interviews and well, basically be like, "Well, I live on an Indian reservation now, and if you're so not, much. if you're <laughs> American evangelicals, don't live uh, next to minorities and gay people." So, like, like just calling out the the church and our public witness, and uh, he did a lot of that. And I think, I man, I just I wish he was still alive because I would just wonder what he would say well, in dude, the, in this documentary if he were still alive musicians today. across um, the board, like Christian or not. Uh, musicians, part of what they do, and that's part of what artists do, right? They 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 take a, a prophetic stance and have a prophetic voice in culture, mm-hmm. you know, and are trying through their art to communicate truth to culture. So, like that, have I mean, you get that when you're not talking about Christian music. So, all of the huge music through the '60s and '70s. I mean, this is speaking into the right. war in Vietnam issues and all right. these kinds. Of, I mean, that this is what artists do, and so it's very natural that you see the same thing happening in kind of the the most authentic expressions of christian artistry it's let's speak truth to the church so whether we're talking about the 70s where it's like you know i'm a christian i still listen to the radio why does the devil get all the good right. music yep. um or or whether it's keith green or it's right. rich mullins or it's kirk franklin or it's whoever you know i i just think that this is something that we see that's just true of the calling of being an artist 
yeah. is is to use art to speak truth yeah. uh, prophetically that otherwise doesn't get heard or listened yeah, to. Yeah, and that's really what art does is it allows us to see things in a way that we wouldn't see them otherwise. Mm. You yeah. know, so it's not just the bare facts that are presented that we've never thought about that or heard about it. It's something about the form in which it's being presented in that um, reaches our minds and our hearts in a different way. Right. And I thought that was shown throughout the documentary. Yeah. I think they did a good job well, with and that. Music specifically is such a great medium because music is so disarming, right? Because mm-hmm. like, so before I ever encounter your message or what it is you're trying to get me to hear and say, I can already be like pre-disarmed because I enjoy what I'm hearing musically yeah. and what's coming. And so I'm more willing to stick around and give a listen um, to what it is that you you have to say and what your what your message is. Yep. Well, you know, as we come to the end of the 90s and turn towards the 2000s, you know, I find that, uh, JM, all these huge artists that we're talking about who got extremely limited screen time, I didn't have the same experience as we uh, as we turned to the 2000s. There were some artists that got just a, a ton of screen time. Um, maybe, maybe we could say heavily featured. <laughs> Um, so I yeah. don't know if we want to talk about it. Really felt yeah. like they run out, they ran out of time. Well, it should be noted and what the executive producer? Is that what we're gonna talk the about? The two executive producers of the film are Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. Now, so yeah. <laughs> take that okay for, for what, what it's, it's worth. worth. <laughs> Some might say they had a lot of screen time. Some might not and granted, we just talked about Amy Grant's sales records. Of course. Oh, yes. All right. Massive, like, massive artist. Like, just massive not, impact. Yes. The impact. Yeah. Michael W. Smith. Yeah. Massive, massive artist too. No massive doubt. impact. Like not wanting to take away from that, but one could make the argument <laughs> that there are other massive artists too who maybe deserved equal, if not greater, screen time. <laughs> well, and I think if you're uh, if you're not going to say that this is specifically American Christian music, which they never really make that, like, they never really make that a point, I guess, at any point. Yeah, because they'll kind of show delirious. Yeah. But that's not until much later. Like, I'm trying to remember the first international acts they show, and I don't think it's till the 2000s. Are for King and Country, are they from somewhere else? That guy was featured way too much, I think. I have to be be honest. I don't think... I'm like, are they friends? Why... why is for King of Country in this documentary? I've never so much? heard of them. I've never heard of any of their songs. I've heard their name. I don't know any of their music. I, I was like, is he up in like? <laughs> does he have like patriotic like, uh, like Revolutionary War like armor? Uh, you know, like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, what's like, oh, his, his uniform? jacket that he yeah. wore. Yeah, I didn't know I, what, he, he looked like he was fresh off the stage in Hamilton. Yes, ex- yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's like they needed somebody that was very CCM but okay. big, and so they chose that guy. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. I I don't know, like because the the uh, the more recent modern artists they feature, Lecrae, Lauren Daigle gets a couple of spots. Mm-hmm. The guy from for for King and Country. I don't know why. Maybe we're, I guess maybe they're we're huge. Just, we I don't know old? how big they are. I maybe we're old. I don't know. That's possible. But too. here's what happens. So they go bet, into the. I bet Billy Graham would know about them. Yeah. Well, they go into the modern era, and they talk about this shift from it just being CCM radio music, 
and it and the shift to worship music. And, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of where we're at today, right? Worship music is in a lot of ways, for better or worse, it's CCM music. There's right. a whole industry yep. now that has been created from worship well, music. Well, if you think of okay, so let's name you know your favorite Christian artist right now. The most of them are going to be known as primarily worship artists, right? Yeah. Wh- whether that's individual songwriters, like we can go through, you know, Tomlin and Matt Redman sure. and all of that, or whether it's groups, and you start talking about. You know, Hillsong or Bethel yep. or, or what Passion. happened. Passion, yep. you know. So the album that they really touch on to talk about this shift from all different types of genre into worship is the Michael W. Smith worship album. And I will say I have some thoughts about... Which, which came out in 2001. Came out in 2001. On, on September 11th. Yes. Which is wild. Which is pretty wild. Yes. And so I have some thoughts about that. But I will say... I have some thoughts too. As I looked at the album, I was like, okay, when my church made the shift from traditional music into quote-unquote contemporary worship music, it's all the songs on that album. So forever, forever God is with us, forever God is love, uh, heart of worship, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, draw me close to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus, open the eyes of my heart, Mm -hmm. breathe, this is the air I breathe, Mm -hmm. awesome God, I mean, yeah, all, pretty like, much all of them. All yeah, of them. Yeah. Now, now he, he didn't write all those. He did not say, write all of he those. Didn't write, he wrote like one song yeah, on so that album. I'm pretty sure yes. it, forever. I'm pretty sure Chris Tomlin wrote that song. Meaning yes. all of these songs existed before his right. album. Heart of Worship. Right, that's true. Heart of Worship. Matt Redman. Uh, Open Eyes of My Heart was. Um, Paul Belosh. Paul Belosh. Uh-huh. Um, awesome God, Rich Mullins. Yes. Um, I mean, I could I could go on, but yeah. Yes. So continue, Brad. I mean, I think that was a big album. And yeah, I think that album sure. definitely influenced a lot of churches. But I think you have to look at Delirious. Yeah. You have to look at Hillsong. And Shout to the Lord came out when? In the 90s. In the 90s. In the 90s. Right? And so you already have these worship bands that are playing primarily at churches that are then beginning to overflow. I mean, Tomlin's doing his Tomlin's thing. Tomlin's doing his doing thing his in the thing. late 90s, right? Yeah. Redmond's doing his thing in the late 90s. When is When does Passion start? I mean, early, I, early, early they didn't even talk maybe? about you didn't. They didn't even talk about passion. It's, I mean, you have to talk time. yeah, about the influence of passion. Yeah. So, so I think all of those were a massive force. Here, here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. Okay. Um, I, my church was singing all of those songs before the Michael W. Smith album, <laughs> like the church that I grew up in. Now, I had the, I got the Michael W. Smith album, and right. I listened to it. Yeah, sure. But I knew 90% of the songs before that album That wasn't out. the album that showed you, wor- quote-unquote, worship music. Right, right. Yeah. Nor, like, if you'd asked me before this documentary, if you'd have been like, what made the shift? You know, I I would have listed many things. None of which, yes, would have. And that well, was my there issue. are many things, yeah. Well, and that was my issue. Is I'm like, okay, if you want to make the argument that this is part of that shift, but it really felt like the the documentary was trying to be like, 
this was the linchpin. And I'm like, can we say that Michael W. Smith's height of his heyday was actually in the 80s? Yeah, I mean, yeah. early 90s. Yeah, 80s, so. early 90s. Nothing sure. against Michael W. Smith. No, no, no. Just, just I mean, just I feel like we've already talked about this, but I mean, <laughs> we have. This is the that's my biggest critique of the film is yes, because that sure. he is tied to the executive producer role and that you know that they're friends with the Irwin brothers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just seems like okay, we had DC talk and we had all this stuff, and then out of nowhere, Michael W. Smith is presented uh, or has been given this idea. I'm going to do a worship record. I'm going to be the first one ever that's ever done this worship album. And it's and it sh- forever changed the trajectory of Christian music. And I just feel like it was kind of already happening already. You know what I'm just thinking about? What, if, just, they do a par- what if they do a part two to the documentary? And as they're talking about critics, they use our podcast. <laughs> And we're like the voiceover. But we're not criticizing the music. We love the all critics. the music. Let me just give you it's a story. Few. Michael, I I just want to be honest. Love your music. I think you're very attractive. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to deny that. Right? I think what we're saying is that there were more forces going on that made this shift yeah. to worship music. It's very complicated. It's years in the making. And... Yeah, it completely changed the industry, but there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on, and it doesn't take away that, you know, the album is fine. Like, I, I think Michael W. Smith did a great job with the record, and uh, I like the set list. I like the songs that they chose yeah. to record. I had that album growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just say this. You had uh, Maranatha Music, okay, which yeah, started... Many many years prior to uh, any yeah. of this, you had Integrity Music, Vineyard, Vineyard yeah, Worship. Wow, you had Integrity Music that that would put out these worship uh, cassette tapes and things like that. Let me mention Delirious real quick. Nineteen ninety five, they put out an album, uh, something it's like Live and in the Can or something like that. It's a worship album uh, from a band. Okay, so not even like an artist. Like this is like one yeah, of the first times that a band, a four piece or a five piece, is actually playing worship music. That yeah. I mean, Martin Smith wrote, "I Could Sing of Your Love Forever." He wrote, "Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble?" "Shout to the Lord" was written in 1993, and released in 1994. Our church sung "Shout to the Lord" Hillsong, Darling Check. They don't even mention "Shout to the Lord" in the documentary. I know. Did they, min- did they, they mention? They mentioned the it? song title once. They mentioned it once. I think, and I think it was. <laughs> I, so Greg Laurie is fe- featured. Oh, Greg Laurie, Pastor right. Greg Laurie. Um, right. And I think he mentions. He mentions it. Yeah. But like, I'm sitting here. I just looked up Vineyard Worship because I was I was curious. In 1998, <laughs> Vineyard uh, puts out an album. Come, now is the time to worship. Yeah, that was a big one too. Yeah. We used to play those songs. And I mean, really, I think and I think All this would have been a really on that. I think this would have been a really cool tie-in. I I think a lot of the precipice for these bands was they were playing at youth events. Right. Or they were they were playing at events where a pastor would come up and preach afterwards. And so that's gonna affect the way you write your music. Right. And music is going to 
begun to be written in a way in which it could be sung, right. well, they tell in which a way it's fitting for a pastor that's going to yeah. come up and preach, or then like uh, you're going to sing after a pastor has gotten done preaching. And then I think you have churches, and we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but I think you have churches saying like, oh, wait, we could do this. Right. You don't have to go to a Michael W. Smith concert anymore to hear Christian music. We could have a band at our church, and we could have quality production, and then it's freaking off to the right. races. Well, they tell the story of Chris Tomlin writing the song, We Fall Down. We lay yep. our crowns at the feet of Jesus, and it's him and Louis Giglio yes. at a youth camp. Yep. Um, and then, now this stat just gets kind of thrown out there. Chris Tomlin was featured a little bit, but if you want to talk about like uh, figures that have influenced the direction of the modern worship movement, like him or not, like they throw out there that Chris Tomlin's yep. songs have likely been sung more times and by more people in the world than any other artist in history. Yeah, yeah, anyone that's, else? That's insane to me. That is. Absolutely insane. I mean, that, and it was Time Magazine. <laughs> Time said Magazine. That. Yeah, well, it's because of how great is our God and how you can sing that in any language. Right. Yeah. So you can literally go to any country in the world that has access to the to American music, American worship music, and they they will probably know how great is our God by Chris Tomlin, which is just insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting to think about. You know, they start with the 70s and talk about this new Christian music. Canada had a new album this year, by the way. Uh, this new Christian music for a new generation. And then I feel like they kind of tried to do that a little bit in the 2000s. It's interesting to think about what is the next Christian music for the next Christian generation, John Mark? I mean, we have been... Here's the problem. <laughs> Where do we go from here? The problem is, is that we have now... I personally feel like we've camped out longer in worship than we have for any other any of these other genres that we mentioned before. So metal was such a mm. fleeting thing for the most part even though there was an underground scene of hardcore music People at Shades would know about this, Chad Johnson. Yeah, that didn't even get mentioned in the documentary. What's the, up with you that? You don't really Yeah, yeah I mean, we went and talk about Reliant K or, you know, the kind of the tooth and nail goatee records like right, yeah. Solid State, some of these record labels that were doing very alternative music uh, that was still Christian. So I don't know. I I do have hope, though, and my hope is, uh, and, and one of the reasons why I picked Young Oceans for my album of the week this week is because, mm -hmm. it, it you know, I mean, we, we talk about all this CCM music, but there are still artists out there today that I feel like are still breaking new ground and doing new things. We've talked about Andy Squires. I think John Mark McMillan, Andy Squires, Young Oceans, like pe pe artists like that. I'm very, very excited about to see where, where this thing goes, but it's on a very, it's on a much smaller scale mm -hmm. uh, because all of the music industry has, uh, has changed and shifted in the modern area era with Napster with streaming, yeah, and it's forced uh, record labels and artists to figure out how to release music, how to sell music, how to keep uh, consumers engaged in what they're doing. So I think that's affected Christian music too. But my hope is is that the underground scene continues to grow and that people are drawn to good music like Andy Squires and artists like that. You know. So hopefully that's where we're headed. 
It's just you know, and and I'm fine with worship music being what it is, and it it's it's obviously uh, worship music has transformed how churches sing together on Sunday mornings. You know? Yeah, um, it's pretty wild. So it really is, and that all started in the '70s. Yeah. So. Well, there you have it. (laughs) The Jesus music. Um, But no, seriously, check out the documentary. Check it out. Uh, We want to hear your thoughts. It's on Amazon. It's not free. You do have to rent it. Um, Is it available anywhere else? If you have Hulu, Hulu. you can watch it for free. Oh, so sorry. I don't have Hulu. I did want to mention something about Shout to the Lord when I clicked on the Wikipedia. In April of 2008, Shout to the Lord was the closing song on American Idol Gives Back, sung by the remaining eight contestants of American Idol and a gospel choir. What? The lyrics of the song were altered, changing the word to Jesus to shepherd in the first line without the approval of Darlene Check or Hillsong Church. At request of the song's publishers, the song was performed again at the opening of the next show the following night, this time using the original lyrics. Uh, the studio version of the performance charted at number 43, the Billboard Hot 100 in 2008. So that song charted again. There you go. I mean, it's a and it's a great song. Is that what the song we need to close out with today? Because <laughs> I'm sure there are listeners who have Has never heard... Has anyone not heard Shout to the Lord? This song before. See, oh, my word. Dude, we need to Is play it. Is that possible? We need to play it. We're playing I mean, it on Sunday. Shout to the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. Is the, the thing is, <laughs> we do I don't need even to play know it. where would be the original version. It would be Hillsong. I think this is it Yeah, right it'd be here. under Hillsong. Yeah. I think this is it. Hey, I do, as we close out, I do feel the yeah, need to mention, um, in light of him not getting featured enough in the documentary, uh, <laughs> Michael W. Smith did put out a Christmas album this year. <laughs> he also put out a country album. No! Like, That's right. Two, no! A couple years ago with like Florida Georgia Line. And people like that <laughs> just makes me sad. I think he created country music. Is Dude. that right, Michael W. Smith? He started country. Is that? I think that's what I heard. This song takes me back so much. Uh, but to end on a positive note for Michael W. Smith, I know we if, really if like you, we ragged him. A we really hard. ragged him. If I, you have I, not listened to Friends. Friends are friends forever. Yep. If you haven't listened to that, you have to. I like Place in this World better. Yeah, man. Place in this Place world, in this world is fantastic. Is a hit. It's a hit. And I would be remiss without saying that he wrote Agnes Day. Oh, and, did he? And I, I mean, I played that song on Sunday morning. It's a great song. Here we go. You never heard "Shout to the Lord." Here it is. Sounds like a sounds like a, a Roland electronic drum set, man. Chimes. Did you just hear the chimes? I did. Oh, yeah. Dude, we would do this big slowdown uh, at the. Uh, There's a modulation in that song too. Sorry, go ahead, man. No, but yeah, and the at the at the. At the 
of your And you slow it down. It gets so big. And you key change it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. That's it. We're doing it. Amazing. We're doing it. Amazing. Did they even talk about... I'm just thinking about this is the problem when you have limited the podcast time. is over, people. At this point, we're just randomly yeah. talking. <laughs> they I, they really didn't even talk about. I can only imagine by Mercy Me, which they he was he was I mean, definitely he was in featured, the documentary. But, but I that mean that song, song. I mean, how big is that song? Well, you remember after it was 9/11, on secular radio. Yeah, after nine eleven, they. I mean, that song was played a ton. I'm pretty sure that was the song, right? That they that they did a lot uh, after post nine eleven. It was. I, I mean, I, re- that I remember song hearing is, it. That song I remember so hearing it on huge. pop radio, um, and I remember it being played in places like baseball games and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Um, I'm trying to find some information here. Yeah. You know who else who, whose face gets seen? Like he sits down in an interview chair, but you never hear a single word out of his mouth. Is the lead singer of Casting Crowns. You see him sit down in a chair for an interview and just never hear him. The other thing was the amount of Grammys that Amy Grant has won. Yeah, it was, she won a few. Holy cow. So many. There are so many of those people that won a ton of Grammys, man. Yeah, so I can only uh, imagine came out on October 12th, 2001. Certified five times platinum. You're talking about Amy Grant? No, this is... I can only imagine. Oh. Sorry, that was just a random... It, Mercy uh, me. <laughs> We're both saying different stats at the same time. Mercy Me, unexpected mainstream hit in 03, peaking at number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 5 on the Billboard Adult Contemporary Chart. Also hit Top 40, Adult Top 40, and Country Radio Charts. The song returned to the charts after its story was adapted into the film. Okay, listen, I don't know how old y'all were when that song came out. I used to listen to that song and weep. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine? Yes. Yeah. I mean, weep. Dude, yes. Uh, I, yes. Yes, same thing. <laughs> it would bring me to tears. <laughs> However, um, uh, that song and I have a history. Oh, boy. And it <laughs> is the first time in my entire life that I think I came to understand the phrase overplayed. <laughs> like, it definitely moved me emotionally early on, but it hit this point where I was like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. Oh, I mean, it was played all the time. Yeah, I mean, all the time. Yeah, 2003, I would have been 19, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, I guess we should wrap this up. We didn't even talk about Stephen Curtis Chapman. No, we didn't. You got to go listen to some of his stuff. Mm -hmm. He seems like a nice dude. He is a good dude. My, my, uh, My top three people walking away from this documentary... That really, for me, they were my favorite parts of the documentary. Well, we've I've, already I've mentioned got, them. I've got mine. I've we've got already mine mentioned them. Uh, in no particular order, my top three, Kirk Franklin, yes. Bill Gaither, yes. and Billy Graham. Yes, those are mine. How, how could you not? I don't know. Those three guys absolutely blew me away. Yeah. Just blew me away. Man, if you do a Billy Graham search, because we're just talking about whatever we want right now... <laughs> If you go to YouTube and look at some Billy Graham videos, you will be shocked. I just listened to a Billy Graham TED Talk. <laughs> what? A, uh, ex- see? Shocked. A Billy Graham TED Talk. It's like a long time ago. 
And he talks about getting invited to California, how he's got all these friends in Silicon Valley, and he's so honored that they would invite him to come, and that he's shocked that they would have a preacher come, but that they said they wanted him. These people aren't Christians. They said they wanted him to come and to speak about spirituality. Unreal. You can go back and see Billy Graham uh, on, what's uh, John Mark, what's the guy's show? Um, uh, he, he went on Woody Allen. Woody show Allen. Yeah. Back in the Sitting 60s with Woody Allen. I've, I've watched that clip before. Too. Yes. I mean, just crazy. So America's pastor. America's pastors. Him, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh. And, you know, I need to ask my parents, because my parents were always, like, 100% pro ccm like never anything negative like they were all in all about it 100 percent. and i wonder if it partially is due to billy graham yeah. and his pot because my yeah. parents love billy graham mm-hmm. and i wonder if it has to do with his influence and his voice in it i need to ask them yeah it's quite possible i wouldn't be shocked my parents always had cassette tapes ccm stuff second chapter chapter of acts patty um, yeah sandy patty sandy, sandy patty, patty amy grant michael w like all those people yeah crazy um, so yeah well the billy graham effect i keep trying to end it <laughs> well all right we should probably end this now. yes check out the documentary for yourself um and um Email us. Tell us your thoughts. Um, tell us things that you think the documentary highlighted well, things it missed, all those things. Because, as Brad would say, well, I'll just let you say it. Email us midweek at shadesvalley.org. Because here on Shades Midweek, you're part of the Jesus music. <laughs> <Conversation>. <laughs>